Good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. We're glad to be here with you. This is my beautiful wife, Lori, joining me. It's good to have her. And big shout out to all of you who are at our Central Family locations. Those who are watching online, thanks for being with us. Lori's got an announcement for us. Yes, ladies of Central, no matter where you are, what campus you're at or watching online, I want to extend a special invite to you because next Saturday, right here at the Henderson campus, we're going to have a one-day event for the women of Central called Refreshed. I don't know if you've been feeling tired, but I know you can come and be renewed. I don't know if you've been feeling overwhelmed or lonely, but I know if you come, you'll feel reconnected and rejuvenated. If you feel hurt, God can restore you. And if you feel worn out, I think you can come and be refreshed. I'm gonna be speaking and I'm gonna be joined by one of my best friends, Hosanna Wong, who is an incredible speaker and spoken word artist. And we're gonna be sharing, they're gonna be awesome breakouts. And I think God is gonna be able to do a real work in your heart. So I wanna encourage you to get to be here with us next Saturday. You can register today in the lobby or you can also register online at centralonline.tv slash refresh. And the price goes up tonight. So today is the day to go ahead and get registered. And I'm super excited. If finances are tough right now, please do not let that hold you back from coming. Go talk to the team in the lobby. We wanna make sure that you get there. And I'm excited to see you on Saturday. That's gonna be great. Well, hey, I, uh, I've been saying all week, I've got a surprise for you this weekend. And uh, this has been on the calendar for over a year, but I'm so excited. Uh, Pastor Robert Madu uh, is a tremendous young communicator, truly one of the greatest in the world and uh, in this generation, right. maybe in all generations. Right. Uh, he's something else. And I'm so honored to uh, get on his calendar that he would come and share with us. Uh, Pastor Madu uh, and his wife Taylor have three beautiful kids. Uh, he's the teaching pastor at his home church that he's been at since he was three, Trinity Church, uh, outside of the uh, Dallas, Texas area. And we are just super thrilled that he's here. And this will be my third time to hear this message. It's one of the greatest messages okay. I've ever heard. It's amazing. So I'm gonna say, let's jump on our feet. Let's give a big, huge, warm, loving, central welcome to Pastor Robert Madu! Wow. Good morning, Central. Come on, anybody love Jesus in this place today? Oh, come on, you could do better than that. If you love Jesus, would you give him some praise in here? Come on, this is the day that the Lord has made. Don't rejoice and get mad. Come on, rejoice and be glad in it. Are you glad to be here? I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest. I'm not just excited to be at Central. I am Red Bull excited and uh, espresso elated. I've been waiting to get my face in the place because uh, I've been stalking y'all for a while. Just want to let you know that. <laughs> just been watching all the phenomenal things God's been doing at this church from afar. In fact, so many leaders and pastors who I really respect in ministry have told me, Robert, you have not preached anywhere until you preached at Central. <laughs> so I made it. I made it. Go to heaven, a happy chocolate brother because I finally made it. Here And I'm telling you, all the rumors are right. They're true. Do you know you're blessed to be a part of this church? Come on, I hope you know that. The grass doesn't get greener anywhere else, all right? If it is, it's AstroTurf. It's not even real. But this is the real deal. And uh, you're blessed because God's hand is on this church and because you've got incredible pastors, incredible leaders. How many are thankful for the gift of Pastor Judd and Lloyd for who they are? 
Come on, I've been having the best time hanging out with your pastors. You ought to honor them. Come on, let them know how much you love them, how much you appreciate them. Thank God for you guys, the absolute best. The Get Blue Man group, I'll come here just to hang out uh, with you, and I'm excited. I do bring you greetings from the great country of Texas. I uh, have lived there my entire life. I am married to the finest woman on the planet, Taylor, and uh, we have three little humans. If you're wondering why I have this glow emanating from my face, it's not the lighting. It's not because I use exfoliating skin products. It's because we have three of the cutest kids on the planet, and I'm going to be that dad. Can y'all put up that picture of my babies? Come on, y'all. That's the Madhu crew. That is five, four, and two. Amen. I see you pray for us. I heard that. Oh, <laughs> it's not just their ages. Those are also the times they wake up throughout the night, every night. So uh, we're in the thick of parenthood, but it's the best hood. And uh, I'm excited to share God's word. Are you ready to hear it? Come on, if y'all feel like hearing this, like I feel like preaching it, something's going to happen in here today. I want us to go to the gospel according to Mark, Mark chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 21 through 43. I believe there's a word from God in Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21, and then we'll land at verse number 43. And while you're looking forward or getting ready to look on the screen, how many of you have never heard me preach before? Can I see your hand if you never? Oh, Lord, that's everybody. Okay. <laughs> Quick disclaimer, uh, there's different preaching styles. Some preachers are calm, quiet, stoic, and sedate as they stand behind a pulpit to softly pontificate the processes of philosophy, eschatology, and soteriology. And for considered uncanny and boisterous for you to say anything while they're sharing what the Lord has deposited in the deep recesses of their heart, soul, mind, and spirit. I ain't one of those preachers, okay? <laughs> Let you know right now, I am a hollaback preacher, okay? So if you are feeling anything I'm saying, you can say amen, you can say preach that, say come on with it, stand up in the middle and go, ooh, that was for me. <laughs> you can also stand up in the middle and go, ooh, that was for you. For real, you needed that. Any one of those will work. Uh, just get verbally involved. Mark chapter 5, let's look at it, verse 21. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you're going to sit up here and ask, who touched me? <laughs> but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. 
while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, another version says, ignoring what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What a word for somebody in here today. Don't be afraid, just believe. And he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The girl ain't dead. She's just asleep. They did what you did. They laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and then told them, don't just stand there and look at the girl. Go to Chick-fil-A and get her something to eat real quick. Come on, somebody. That's good stuff. That is good scripture just by itself. And I have to tell you, Central, in, in full sermon prep disclosure, uh, I almost titled this message, almost titled this message, Get Up. Because, come on, that's a good sermon title, Get Up. Because I thought the climax of the miracle was Jesus telling this little girl to get up. Upon further reflection, I realized that was a premature title, premature, simply because of verses 40 and 41. So I want us to hone in on those verses. Let's back that thing up biblically uh, to verses 40 and 41. Because remember, Jesus walks into what is essentially a funeral and says, that girl's not dead. She's just asleep. And when he said that, it says, but they laughed at him. They laughed. Who is the they? The negative, doubting, unbelieving, faithless people who were in the room that day. You, you know those people that know how to light up a room when they walk out? <laughs> Don't point at anybody. Those people that like for every solution, they will find a problem. That's the day that we're in the room. They laugh. And then it says something I love. It says, after he, that's Jesus, put them all out. Jesus put them out. In fact, the Greek suggests that he physically put them out. See, I don't want to mess up your theology or your Christology today because some of you think Jesus is just kind and passive and sweet and loving. And he's a good, good father. And he is. But this scripture lets me know, do not get it twisted. He is so, so gangster because all of those negative, doubting, unbelieving people who are messing up the atmosphere for the miraculous to happen, he said, oh, no, all y'all got to get Oh, yeah, you ain't got to go home, but you got to get out of here. Get out. And once they got out, then he goes to the little girl and says, get up. Huh. Central, what if the power of a miracle is not just in the miracle itself, but rather in the atmosphere, in the environment that surrounds miracles? Could it be possible? Could it be possible? That you've been looking at situations in your life telling them to get up. 
But this is actually the season of your life to start checking your environment and telling some things and some people to get. Oh, I feel like preaching in here today. That's my title, Get Out. Come on, let's pray. It's going to be a long prayer, but just bear with me. Would you bow your heads? God, you are awesome. Speak today. Amen. Get out. <laughs> the, uh, the divine intersection and really collision of characters in this passage of Scripture we just read immediately gave me a nostalgic, parental, fatherhood flashback to November 2014. I remember it quite vividly because I was getting ready to leave our home in Dallas, Texas to go preach at a conference, which isn't anything unusual. I often leave to go preach at a conference, except this time, everything was different. Everything was different. Because I was not just leaving the house as a husband, now I was leaving the house as a father. My firstborn daughter, Everly, we call her Evie. She had just been born. And I was in that emotional disposition of leaving my firstborn daughter for the very first time. And come on, every parent in here will attest to the fact, things are just different with your first child. Come on, there are things that happen with your first child that none of your other children will experience, okay? <laughs> like now, now my wife and I, we have three kids plus a demonic dog. So, <laughs> when I leave the house now, I leave like I got warrants for my arrest. And I take the long, scenic route home, okay? In fact, often, often my wife Taylor will call me with chaos in the background, and she'll be like, babe, where are you? I go, look, I'm in traffic. She's like, no, you in the driveway. I see you. Come in the house and help me <laughs> with these kids. When it's your first, it's different. It's different. So I was emotional, to say the least, to leave. I mean, tears are going this way, snots going the other way. It's this big dramatic scene. I'm like, I love you so much. I was going to preach one night in Florida. You would have thought I was going to war for like 30 years. I was like, I care about you. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. I mean, I was a mess. I was a mess. And I get to the service that night, I walk in, I'm still emotional, and when I walk in the service, a guy by the name of Eddie James is leading worship. And of all songs, of all songs, he is actually singing, you're a good, good father. As soon as I heard father, it set off a trigger. I was like, no, I'm not, Eddie, no, I'm not. It's just a mess. I don't even think I preached. I just put up a picture of my daughter, said that's point one, two, and three. And I finished the service and was in the green room afterwards talking to the worship leader, Eddie James. And he goes, Robert, congrats on your daughter. She's beautiful. I said, thank you. I made her. <laughs> and then said, uh, I said, hey, Eddie, you know, my daughter Evie might not have ever been born if it wasn't for you. Eddie looked at me like I had lost my mind. I said, Eddie, you probably don't remember this, but in December 2006, you were scheduled to lead worship and preach at Christ for the Nations Institute in Dallas, Texas. But en route to Dallas, your van broke down on the side of the road. Eddie goes, I remember that night. I said, Eddie, you picked up your phone and you called a man by the name of Adam McCain. And you let him know that by the time your van would be fixed, there was no way you would make the service. So regrettably, you had to cancel. Adam McCain got off the phone with you and looked at a room full of people and said, Eddie James just canceled for our Tuesday night student chapel. Who in the world are we going to get last minute to fill his spot? In that room was a man by the name of Brian Ming. He lifts up his hand and says, hey, 
I just heard this young guy named Robert Madu preach. He's local here in Dallas. Maybe he can do it. All of a sudden, my phone rings, and a voice on the other line says, is this Pastor Robert Madu? I immediately dropped my voice real low and said, why, yes, it is. He said, I know this is crazy. I know this is last minute, but uh, we just had a cancellation for our Tuesday night student chapel. Is there any way you would be available to come and preach to our Bible college students? Now, keep in mind, during this time of my life, I myself am a Bible college student at Southwestern Assemblies of God University. So I said back to him, you know what? It seems like yesterday I was a Bible college student myself. What an honor it would be to come and part to your young people. Drove from my university to, South, to CFNI. I'm about to get up and speak. But before I get up, they say, hey, it's Tuesday night, so we're going to show a testimony video. We're going to show a testimony of a student here in our body whose life has been transformed by Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden on the screen, I see the finest girl with the strongest southern accent I have ever heard in my life. And she starts telling her story of Jesus changing her life. I don't meet the girl. I preach that night. I'm at my university the next day, just walking down the hallway. All of a sudden, the girl stops me in the hallway and goes, hey, Robert. I said, it's Pastor Robert Madu now. She goes, was that you that I saw last night at CFNI getting ready to speak? I said, yeah, they had a cancellation. They called me last minute. She goes, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Did you see the girl on the screen telling her testimony before you preached? I said, yes, I did. She said, I've known that girl for years. I've known you for years. And I always thought that you two would be perfect for each other. But I never said anything. But the fact that you were there preaching and they showed her video, you two have got to meet. The next week, that girl and I went on our very first date at the illustrious International House of Pancakes. Hey. I said, Eddie, to make a long story short, that girl's name was Taylor Mitchell. It's now Taylor Madu. We did what married people do. Evie is the evidence of that. Eddie, I am so glad your van broke down on the side of the road that day. And I share that story today, first of all, to give some hope to the single people. Hello, this show here. <laughs> but also to say, who in the world would have ever thought that Eddie and my Evie were connected? Because their connection is not one that is easily seen on the surface. But once you begin to peel back the layers and dig down deep into the archaeological value of a person's life, it becomes so clear that none of us get to live our lives in autonomy with just me, myself, and I. But how many of you know every single one of us are connected? Oh, yes, we are deeply connected. Miracles merge with miracles. Testimonies have a way of touching each other. Our lives are not straight lines. Our lives are actually links because all of us are connected. Oh, yes, you might not like the person you sit next to, but you are connected. And come on, doesn't it frustrate you when people you love don't understand this premise and they got the nerve, the audacity to tell you, oh, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. You do you and I'm going to do me. You do you and I'm going to do me. And you want to look at that person you love and go, well, you doing you is affecting me because all of us are deeply and intrinsically and inextricably connected. We're connected. So I don't find it strange in Mark chapter 5. Mark begins by talking about this synagogue leader by the name of Jairus. But then in the middle of Jairus' story, we're interrupted. 
with this story of a woman with an issue of blood. And the reason that Mark has sandwiched these two stories together is because the two of them are connected. Oh, they are so connected, deeply connected. Now, not on the surface. If you just look at the surface of their lives, they could not be more opposite. Come on, if you look at the surface, one of these things is not like the other, okay? Let's just start with Biology 101. Jairus is a man. She is a woman. Different. Jairus is named in the text. The Bible doesn't even give us this woman's name. Jairus is honored and respected, but this woman has been shamed and rejected. Jairus is a ruler in the Jewish synagogue, but this woman can't even come near the synagogue because her sickness has made her ceremonially unclean. Jairus has a family. This woman sits alone. In fact, the culture would suggest that Jairus is affluent. He's got some money in the bank, but this woman is broke, busted, and disgusted and has spent all she had on worthless physicians who made her worse instead of better. Come on, Jairus is driving the bins. This woman is riding the bus. They got nothing in common on the surface, and yet life has put them in the exact same place and position because they both have been hit with something they knew they could not handle. Ooh, how many of you know life will do that? As a matter of fact, I love that about life. Don't ever get bougie or stuck up because life has a way of evening the playing field. Life is an equal opportunity employer. How many of you know life will hit you upside the head with some stuff that your money can't fix, your friends can't fix, your Instagram account can't fix, your degrees can't fix? Life knows how to take your breath away. Life will hit an atheist with some stuff that'll make them go, who God, I need you right now. Life will take your breath away. Oh, and might I suggest today that if life has hit you with something you know you cannot handle, how many of you know that thing is a job for Jesus? That's time for you to just throw up your hands and say, God, I don't even know what to do about this, but surely you can do something. Oh, I love it. Look at Jairus and this woman. Nothing in common on the peripheral. Both ended up in the same spot, having to push people out the way to get an appointment with Jesus. I love it. I love that. I love that not one of them, not one of them had a pretty, well-lit runway with rose petals on it to Jesus. No, they both had to get physical, be inconvenienced, and push people out the way to get something from God that they'd never gotten before. Oh, see, I didn't expect to get a lot of amens right there. I didn't expect to. And it's cool. I'm secure. It's fine. Because, because, because you're like me. You don't like that. You want God to show up on your time schedule, right? Come on, you want God to show up like Amazon Prime in 24 hours or less. But can I tell you, every once in a while in life, you will have to be inconvenienced. You will have to push some people. You will have to push some mindsets. You will have to push some things out of your past, out of the way, and do something you've never done before to get something that you've never received. Somebody just say, push. Oh, sometimes God wants to see, are you willing to push for it and fight for it? Don't give up just because it didn't happen and automatically you got to push. Oh, you know why they're pushing? Oh, I'll tell you why both of them are pushing. They're pushing because desperate people do desperate things. Come on, when you're desperate for God to do something in your life, you approach him differently. 
When you're desperate for a miracle, you will come to church differently. You don't care what the news said. You'll still be in here before the countdown. When you're desperate, you will lift up your hands. You will sing the song loud. You ain't got to know the words. Come on, when you're desperate, you'll lose that little cute praise, and it'll look like a hurricane hit your face. All that little Mary Kay and Mac makeup be all jacked up because there's something you need from God. Oh, and it was desperation that brought Jairus and this woman both at the feet of Jesus. Oh, y'all bored yet? Because I would love to really delve into the details of their desperation. Jairus, Jairus, he gets to Jesus first, and boy, is he desperate. He's desperate because his baby girl is dying. Hear me, she hadn't died yet. She is dying. So when he comes to Jesus, he is talking to Jesus with the vocal intonation of a 911 caller. He's not saying, Jesus, come to my house. He's saying, Jesus, hurry up, hurry up, and come to my house. This woman is just as desperate. But her situation's been going on for a while now, this hemorrhaging, this bleeding that's occurring in her body. And watch how much Mark, the gospel writer, wants us to know that the two of them are connected. Because it just so happens that Jairus' little girl who is dying is 12 years old. And this woman with the issue of blood has been dealing with it now for 12 years, they are connected. So you got a 12-year-old dying daughter and a 12-year-old disease. So church, that means, just chronologically speaking, the same year that this little girl was born was the exact same year that this woman got diagnosed with her disease. That means, cinematically speaking, if Mark chapter 5 was a movie and the producers of This Is Us was making the movie, oh, come on, this is the scene in the movie. <laughs> It would flash from the hem of Jesus' garment and go 12 years earlier. And it would go to a hospital. And then walking out of that hospital would be Jairus, his wife, and them holding a brand new baby girl, smiling ear to ear with that silly new parent grin. And then perhaps walking out of that same hospital is a woman, tears coming down her face because she's just been diagnosed with a disease that the doctors don't know what to do about it. And just maybe they were in the same hospital that day, but didn't even see each other. Come on, isn't that just like life? I, I found in life sometimes you can be so preoccupied with your promise or so preoccupied with your personal pain that you're oblivious to other people that are around you. Come on, sometimes in life and especially in the church, you can be so busy shouting over what God has done in your life or so busy weeping over what hasn't come to pass yet that you're oblivious to other people around you, other people that God has put in your life for you to be a blessing to, for you to speak into their life. Come on, in this narcissistic, individualistic culture that we live in, we can't forget what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, and that is you have to rejoice with those that rejoice, but also weep with those that weep. Come on, don't be so concerned about you that you miss other people around you. Thank God for Jesus, because the two people that didn't see each other at the hospital are now forced to see each other at the hem of his garment, and now the two twelves are touching. Woo. Somebody just say 12. Oh, come on, say it like you had some coffee. Say 12. Come on, say it to wake up your neighbor. Say 12. Woo. How many you know, you don't need a Bible college degree. You don't need to be astute in biblical numerology to know there are some numbers in the Bible 
God has given you biblical blues clues that these numbers are a big deal, okay? <laughs> Twelve is a big number to God. You remember God began his covenant with his people, the covenant that began with Father Abraham, continued with Isaac, but it culminated in Jacob. Jacob had not one, not five, not ten, twelve sons. Those twelve sons represented the authority of God's covenant with his people. Those twelve sons became the twelve tribes of Israel, representing the authority of that nation. Even in the Old Testament, whenever the high priest, the pastor, if you will, would step into the presence of God on behalf of the people, he didn't walk in with skinny jeans on. He had a breastplate that had 12 precious stones that represented those 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, I lost some of you too much Old Testament. Fast forward to the New Testament. Come on, you know our New Testament high priest is Jesus. The first time we see Jesus in the temple teaching is at the age of and they marveled at the wisdom that came out of a 12-year-old. Come on, you remember when that 12-year-old turned 30 and he got ready to turn the world upside down, but he knew he needed a crew, some disciples. And if it was me, I would have stopped at 11. But not Jesus. He said, I need a hater too. Come on, Judas. And he picked 12 dudes to roam the earth and gave all 12 of them power to heal the sick and to raise the dead. What is 12? 12 is a number of God's power. It is the number of God's authority. Ooh, do you know what Jesus is teaching us with the 12s? He's saying, I don't care if you got a blind eye, a deaf ear, a withered hand, an issue of blood, an issue at home, an issue at your job. I don't care if it's demonic oppression, disease, or even death itself. There is nothing you're facing that is not under the jurisdiction of my power and my authority. I got the authority to handle whatever the enemy is throwing against you. Oh, somebody ought to give God some praise. That is good news to know who has the authority. Woo. Twelve. That's the number of authority. Would you just say authority? authority. Oh, come on. Say it in the amplified version. Come on. Say authority. authority. Oh, why is authority important? Authority is important because hear me. It is your awareness of God's authority that will determine how much you receive from God. Big statement. I'm going to rewind that, give it to you again. <laughs> it is your awareness of God's authority that will determine how much you receive from God. See, often you look at a passage like this and you just reduce it to faith because he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And don't get me wrong, faith is important. You need faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is our anchor. But nobody takes an anchor and just throws it in the water. How many know you're going to lose that anchor? You better connect and tie that anchor to something. And watch this. My faith is connected to his authority. The authority of his word. The authority of his power. That's what your faith has got to be connected to. If you don't believe that God is the ultimate authority, then your faith is going to struggle because your faith and his authority are connected. 
Some of you think you got a faith problem. You're like, yep, haven't got my breakthrough because I ain't got enough faith. No, it's fine, it's fine. That's why my miracle hadn't come to pass. I just, I ain't got enough faith. I don't have enough faith. Please, your faith is good. You know you just need a little bit of faith. Just mustard seed faith. It is never the size of your faith. It is the object of your faith. You don't need big faith. You just need little faith. But you know what you really need is an awareness of God's authority to know that he has the final say. Not the doctors, not your cousin and them, not what they said on the news, not what they put on your Instagram page. You need to know that you know that you know that God has all authority. You don't know he's the final authority. Your faith is going to struggle. Somebody like, give us some scripture for that, Robert. I'll give you a scripture for it. Come on, you, you remember the disciples? Remember the disciples? Remember when it was that hurricane? That hurricane and they're on the boat and the disciples are freaking out just in a hurricane. Winds and the waves are going crazy. And the disciples are like, ah! Just going crazy. And Jesus, Jesus, in the midst of the pandemonium is chillaxing in the bottom of the boat, just sound asleep, just in a hurricane. And his peace makes them freak out more. They're like, Jesus, don't you care? We about to die. You ain't seen the news, Jesus. And Jesus gets up in the middle of a hurricane, a hurricane, cool, calm, and collected, and just goes up to the edge of the boat in a hurricane. Talking about, peace. Be still. And immediately the winds and the waves are calm and all the disciples' jaws are on the floor and they go, who is this dude? No, for real, who is this man? That even the winds and the waves obey him? They marveled at his authority. And what did Jesus say right back to them? Oh, you of little, your faith is little because you didn't have an awareness of my authority. See, because if you knew who I really was, if you knew who I really was, you should have looked at me when I was asleep in the boat talking about, who is this man that is sleeping and snoring in the middle of a hurricane? Look, y'all, this storm is not bothering him. Psh, it ain't going to bother me. Scoot over, Jesus. Let me just cuddle with you. Because if you ain't tripping about this, if you sleeping in this, you must know in the end we're going to make it. You must know in the end it's going to be all right. You must know in the end I will get to the other side. Who am I preaching to today? God is not in heaven stressing about what you're stressing about. You know why? He's got all power. He's got all authority. He is God. And beside him, there is no other. Oh, somebody that knows who has the power and the authority, would you give him the best praise that you got in this place? Hallelujah. I know who has the authority. I know who the way maker is. Oh, you don't got a faith problem. You got an awareness of his authority problem. You, you think the doctor is the final authority. You think your cousin and them are the final authority. You think Google is the final authority. Come on, that's why you looked up at that bump on your toe and y'all like, oh, I'm dying tomorrow, y'all. <laughs> Once you know God is the ultimate authority, you can sleep at night. You can have peace. You can have rest. Doesn't mean you won't ever get scared, but it does mean you can go, whoo, this is scary, but I know who has the final say. I know who has the final word. He's got authority. See, Jairus got a house call from Jesus because that was his awareness of his authority. 
See, it's how you approach him. See, Jesus, Jairus, he's a pastor. He approached Jesus just like a pastor would. He said, Jesus, please, my baby girl, she's dying. Would you come to the house? We already got the worship music playing. Would you please come over? Just lay your hands on her. He's Pentecostal too. He's like, lay your hands on her. She'll be good. And Jesus goes, all right, that's what you want? Okay, I'll go to your house. But this woman had a whole nother awareness of his authority. She said, Jesus, you ain't got to come to my house. We ain't got time for that. We can expedite this process right now. We can Disney fast pass it. All I got to do is just touch the hem of your garment. And if I touch the hem, I know I'm going to be made whole. And that's what she got because that was her awareness of his authority. She touched the hem of his garment. Immediately she was healed. And I love Jesus because he didn't just heal her body. He also took care of her shame. Because in that time period, you were never supposed to touch the clean when you were unclean. That's why it took a minute. That's why he asked the question, who touched me? She was scared to come out. <laughs> he said, who touched me? I already know, but who touched me? And all of a sudden, she comes out, probably fear, trembling. And I messed up. Just like some of you in here today, you've got the wrong perspective of who this Jesus is. He is not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. You don't have to be afraid. He's not judging you. He wants to heal the hurt in your life. And to prove it, he stopped and said, daughter, you good. And just takes his time and just starts talking to her. I love it. The Bible says she told him the whole truth. Another version says she told him her whole story. <laughs> she told him her. She told him. Come on, ladies, I love you. But have you ever had a lady tell you her whole story? Oh, don't be in a hurry. Have a dude tell you his whole story. He'd be like, I'm good. How long <laughs> was this conversation? He just takes his time talking to her and makes Jairus wait. Can you see the steam coming off of Jarvis's forehead? Like, are you serious? Girl, get your healing and go. We got to get to the house, my daughter. You old, she 12. Come on, hurry it up. Isn't that frustrating when God makes you wait and watch somebody else get their miracle? He waited to the point they tapped Jairus on the shoulder and said, hey, Jairus, your baby girl is dead. Surely Jairus thought all hope is gone. Don't even worry about coming to the house, Jesus. It's over. Just like some of you in here today think the situation is over. And that's when Jesus takes his hand and says, do not be afraid. Just believe. It's not over till I say it's over. Come on, let's go to the house. He walks all the way into the house. They already started the funeral. Jesus walks in and says, cut the organ off. Why are y'all crying? That girl is not dead. She's just asleep. And they laughed at him. And he said, oh, you think that's funny? Oh, you think that's funny? <laughs> Every one of y'all that laughed, I got a word for you. Get. Oh, come on. Somebody help me close this message. Get. Come on. Somebody declare it. Get. Somebody needs to serve an eviction notice on some things that the enemy keeps beating you up with. Come on. Look at fear and say, get. Look at worry and say, get. Look at depression and say, get. Somebody shout, get out and give God the best praise that you got. Get out. Get out. Get out. Once they got out, 
then he told the little girl to get up because some things will not get up until first some things get out. Check your environment. I'm going to ask every person that can to stand. I'm going to ask all heads bowed, all eyes closed across every location. Father, I thank you today for your word. And I pray today that you spoke to the hearts of your people. Lord, thank you that you have all power. You have all authority. But Jesus, you have also given us authority. And so today we check our environment. We speak to things that need to get out so that dead things can get up. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you, Central Church.